indeed, I hope that that prayer is from our hearts and that indeed the Holy Spirit would illuminate us and would teach us from His Word this afternoon. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me back to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14. In our study through the Old Testament, this morning we came to the first king of Judah. And we came to a description of his reign and the moral state of society around him. And we came across a matter that in some regards is very contemporary. It's not something that was just an issue or a problem in ancient Judah. It is very contemporary today. But it wasn't only in the reign of Rehoboam. I had wanted to just take a few moments and run down a rabbit trail and back on this in Bible Hour this morning, but um, I actually had about three other uh, sermons I wanted to preach this morning, and I only had time to preach one of them <laughs> as it was. And, um, and this was just one little rabbit trail, but as, as I began to think on it, and actually some experiences over just this past week, I thought, you know, let's give it a little bit more time, let's give it a little bit more attention and, and deal with it, because it's not going to just appear here with Rehoboam. In fact, as we continue through our study of the kings, this issue is going to pop up, and it's going to pop up, and it's going to pop up. In fact, several times throughout the history of the kings, this issue comes up. And instead of having to take and, and look into it every single time that it comes up here in these next few weeks, I thought, let's take some time and look at it and get the big picture, the survey of the Scriptures on the issue. So you're with me there in 1 Kings chapter 14. What in the world am I talking about? Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 14 and look with me at verse 24. And there were also sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Sodomy was a serious problem in the ancient world, and actually it's a serious problem in our contemporary world. This is a summary of the debauchery, the perversion, the wickedness that Judah fell into as they stopped preparing their heart to seek God. It comes up here with Rehoboam. It comes up in the days of Asa. In fact, the kings, as God reviews them and their leadership, God critiques how they handled the Sodomites in the land. Here with Rehoboam, in chapter 15 with King Asa, where it speaks of him as taking away the Sodomites out of the land. Then in 1 Kings chapter 22, speaks of it in the times of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat as well had to deal with this, and it speaks of the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he, Jehoshaphat, took out of the land. And then it's also mentioned over in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 7, in the reign of Josiah, for it says that Josiah break down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord, where the woman wove hangings for the grove. So King Josiah had to deal with this matter. So these are just a summary of the different kings in the Old Testament that had to deal with this issue. And so how did they deal with it, and why did they deal with it, and what's the background of this whole issue? To be blunt, um, it's not really a sermon I look forward to teaching at all, um, but it is, a, it is a topic that is very contemporary and very real in our modern world. Um, just this past week, my wife and I, we were going to go over to my brother's store and we were going to watch a video, and just in a, in a, in a family video, the issue came up repeatedly throughout it, in subtle ways and in blatant ways, and it, it bothered me. It really bothered me at how it was there. 
And, um, and, and it's, then you see it here, and it's, it's a real issue. So what is it, and why is it something that we need to talk about? What I'd actually like to do is I'd like to do a lot of Scripture reading. And I'd like for you to grab your prayer list or piece of paper and to take some notes. Now, really, if you do nothing but write down the references I give you, you will have then the resources that you need to be able to yourself grapple with this issue from a biblical, godly perspective. If you just have these references, just the references, in fact, if you looked at my notes, that's all they are. All I have is a list of references, and much of what I intend to do is to not really spend a lot of time exegeting. Exegeting means explaining, to bring out the meaning of the verses, but more so to read them and to give you an overview of the issue uh, in the entire context of Scripture. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is because there's some ears in this room that aren't yet ready to receive some specifics relating to this issue. And I believe and, and deeply convicted that the Word of God is alive, and that the Holy Spirit, when He inspired every very, the very words of His book, that He did it in such a way that um, ears of all maturity and ages could hear it. And in God's way, it would have the impact that it needs to have in the time that it needs to come. And so, forgive me if there are some words that I may not take time to go into depth in explaining, because it, it may be that there are some here that don't need to know what those words mean yet, okay? But if maybe you're one who, um, you know, has some questions about it, come see me afterwards, or if you're a young person, feel free to ask mom and dad. Oh, poor moms and dads, I just put you all on the spot. Um, indeed, though, you know, moms and dads, be, be prepared. This is, this is an issue that your children are facing sooner or later, and what better place for them to be exposed to it first than from God's Word? This is really important. That's the reason I want to do what I'm doing here, because in some ways, you may never dream that one or another's innocent ears um, have picked up on something or eyes have seen something, and what better place to bring it up but as we go through the Scriptures. And so, um, that's kind of my agenda here, and that's, that's where we're going to go. So, we have this word here, sodomite, the sodomites in the land. Where does that word come from? Think back in your Bible knowledge. Where does that word come from? you have any ideas? Well, it comes about from a city in the ancient world, a city named Sodom, a city known for its wickedness, a city known for its perversion. Turn with me back, and let's read the account. At Genesis chapter 19, the city has been declared to be wicked by the Lord God, and the Lord God has had a bargaining, negotiating meeting with Abraham and sparing the city, and has not found ten righteous in the city to spare it. In fact, as we keep reading, there's only one. And in a sense, he had his own batch of problems. The word sodomy or sodomites comes from the way that some of the people in Sodom behaved themselves. And as we read the account, you'll hear it. You'll see it. And um, again, um, I believe that Genesis 19 is one of those chapters that we may not spend a lot of time dwelling on, but it is one that we need to not be afraid to read and uh, not be afraid to discuss it um, in the appropriate context with our children. But definitely, I see, have no concerns with reading it. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot 
that's Abram's nephew, sat at the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, that ye may rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. But he pressed upon them greatly. He was very concerned for their safety in the street. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake on leavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. This is not a reference to getting to know them in a friendly kind of way. This is a reference to knowing them in a perverted kind of way an evil, an abominable abomination to God. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Forgive me, I have to pause here. How, how he thought that was any better blows my mind. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house, into the house to them, and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. They wouldn't give up even after being struck with blindness. And the men said unto Lot, these are the two angels, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened, Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hands of his daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. They brought him forth and set him without the city, and it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed." And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord, but now thy servant hath found grace in thy eyes. Thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I, ha that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou art come thither. Therefore the name of that city was called Zor. And the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got him up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out to the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. 
And Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zor. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. What we follow to read is shows the influence of Sodom and Sodomy in this family. You saw how it impacted the city, how it impacted Lot himself, and how he dealt with the the perversion of the men outside his door, and now we see how it has influenced his daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. They made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name Benamani, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. You can see the dreadful and terrible perversion of Sodom as it permeated their city and even Lot's own family. Their wickedness was an abomination to God. God was abhorred by it. This record was recorded, inspired by God through Moses the prophet. God also used Moses to establish the nation of Israel, a theocracy. This is very important for us to understand. The law of Moses was not just a model law code. It was a law code that was administered in a theocracy. A theocracy means God rules. Theo, theology, is the study of God. Theocracy is not a monarchy. It's a theocracy, meaning that God rules. And the law of Moses is a theocratic law code, meaning that we do not look to Leviticus and the law code of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus as a law code that we categorically apply in our society and world. There are truths we draw from it, most certainly. But this law code is unique and special in that it is a theocracy. And by the way, it is very, very important. The church is not a theocracy. America is not a theocracy. Modern-day Israel is not a theocracy. No theocracy exists on the earth at this time in history and has not existed. Some debate as to when exactly it ended, but it definitely ended in 586 B.C., most likely long before that, or it was a gradual ending. A theocracy is where God rules through a mediator. Now, in the future, a theocracy will be established when the God-man, Jesus Christ, will rule and reign as God and the son of David from David's throne. And there will be a theocracy in the future. But right now there is no theocracy, and Israel is no theocracy. And the laws that I'm about to read to you are a part of that theocratic law code. And so it is distinct and different. We have to be very careful in how we use the law of Moses, that we use it lawfully. It was very distinctly created for the nation of Israel with God as their king, ruling through a mediator, either as a judge or a king in the land. Turn with me over to, actually, Exodus chapter 18. We saw there in Genesis 19 
an account of Sodom and their perversions. I'm not going to delineate all the perversion that we read in that chapter. I'm sure you picked up on it. What was the sin of Sodom? Ezekiel chapter 16 records this for us. Ezekiel chapter 16, God says this to Judah. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom, thy sister, hath not done, she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. This is a pretty scathing rebuke of the nation of Israel. He's saying that Sodom wasn't as bad as you and your family. And then he says this in verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. If you were to read just that verse, you might say, why, I sometimes see some of that in my own house. In fact, I see it in my own life. Beware when these things are around. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, failing to strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. You see, this is the society of prosperity that makes it possible to indulge in abominations. That's really what's going on in America in many, many, many regards. Because the description, though, isn't over. Some have read this and conclude and stop right there at the end of verse 49. We can't end at 49. We need to continue on into verse 50. And, it says, they were haughty. They were proud. Now, haughty, whole nother degree. And, committed abomination before me, God says. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Here we see the abomination, Sodom, and the sin there was they went on in their haughtiness and pride in committing abomination, doing things that God hates. Let's go back to the law the law of Moses that I was talking about a few moments ago, and let us read a few verses. Leviticus chapter 18 is a chapter that, to be blunt, I still struggle with reading in general. But it is an important chapter. Very, very important chapter. Moms and dads, go home and read this chapter entirely to your children and teach them the truth of this chapter. It's dealing with incest. And the serious, serious, serious abomination it is before the Lord. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I'd like to read the introduction, and then I'd like to read the section that is relevant to our subject at hand and the conclusion of this chapter. Chapter 18, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. That's important, everybody. As we keep reading, we're going to get into Romans 1, and that's the whole reason why this is a problem, is that people forget this truth. Who is the Lord God? It's not about what I think, what you think, what society thinks, or what the movie stars think. It's what does God think? What does God think? And he says, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, by the way, Sodom was a Canaanite city, shall ye not do, neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. You don't walk according to the way they give orders. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I 
am the Lord. Did you miss the point that he's the Lord, that he's the Lord, that he's the Lord? He continues on. He's not done. He goes into this matter of dealing with family relationships and the boundaries that are even within families that is dealt with as wickedness. And it's all because he says, I am the Lord. He goes on in dealing with adultery um, later on here in verse 20, dealing with child sacrifice in verse 21. And then in verse 22, relevant particularly to the aspect of sodomy, he says, thou shalt not lay with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there unto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you. And the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them, shall be cut off from among their people. And speaking of death, therefore shall ye keep my ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Sodomy is an abomination to God. Turn with me over a few pages to chapter 20 and verse 13, where it says this, if a man also lie with womankind as he lieth with a woman, if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This is a theocratic law code of the nation of Israel. Now, I want to alert you to something because some people will quote this verse and jump all over it. But you know, if you look up further on this page, look with me at verse 7, chapter 20, verse 7. God says to his people, sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. Sanctify means to be holy. Holy means to be set apart, be different. Why? He says, for I am the Lord your God. It's a big deal. Who God is is a big deal, a part of all of this. And he says, ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. It's about allowing God to set us apart, not just ourselves setting ourselves apart. And again, lots of people like to jump on verse 13 and say, see, ah, sodomy is a capital crime. Capital crime means that it's worthy of the death penalty, execution. But look at some of the other things here that are worthy of death. For everyone that curseth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. You see, all sin is actually quite serious to God. This here curse is actually just the, not esteeming them, setting them at light. goes on and deals with the same issue of adultery. So be careful how you use these verses. They're used here, and they're important, truths and scriptures. But are you, in, especially in the context of people who want to say, well, let's just apply the, the theocratic mosaic law to modern society. Be careful of how you're doing that because it's a law code. You can't just pick and choose pieces of the law code. And that's something we got to be careful with because even here you've got dishonoring parents as a capital crime. You've got adultery as a capital crime. Now, I'm not saying this and pointing this out to try to somehow, you know, say, well, this doesn't matter to God. No, this is a very serious issue, and that's the whole point of it, is to wake us up in how serious sin is. We like to look at the sodomites and say, yeah, they deserve the fire and brimstone falling from heaven on them. I, too, deserve it. You know that, right? I, too, deserve fire and brimstone to fall and to destroy and to consume me. 
All of us do. Sin is a very serious matter that has to be dealt with. Sodomy was a capital crime under the theocratic law code given to the nation of Israel through Moses. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 17. I hope you're writing these references down. Deuteronomy 23, 17. We've just finished in Leviticus 18. Really, the entire chapter is relevant. Um, it's all dealing with perversion. The whole chapter is. And then Deuteronomy 20, 13, or I'm sorry, Leviticus 20, 13, and now Deuteronomy 23, 17. It says this, There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of an whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow, for even both are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. This was the law code. Rehoboam was a mediatorial king in the theocracy of Israel in dealing with. This is the reason why it is brought up in his day. He did nothing about it. It's the reason why it comes up in the days and is brought up in the days of Asa, in the days of Jehoshaphat, as well as in the days of Josiah, because these were theocratic kings. They weren't American presidents. They weren't pastors. They weren't cardinals or bishops. They were theocratic representatives in the nation of Israel. And it was in that system that these laws applied. Let's continue then now to the New Testament. What's the perspective in the New Testament? No different in the view of the sin and the wickedness. Our response to it is different. How we respond to it as those, how we respond to the sin in others, I should say, <laughs> the fact of the matter is nobody should be committing the sins of sodomy at all, period, nobody. So in that sense, it's still an abomination, and it is still great wickedness. But there is a little bit of a distinction in how we, different than the theocratic kings of the Old Testament, engage the matter. But let's see how the perspective is overall. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 specifically dealing with verses 26 through 27. But let's read it in context, because context is real. Context is really important on this topic. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Scriptures tell us and declare that we are all guilty before God and deserving of his wrath, even if we never even have seen or read or heard any of the Bible. For it's clearly revealed in the creation of the world. Because that when they knew God, remember over and over how many times God said, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. I mean, Rehoboam knew who the Lord was. So many people knew who the Lord was. Lot knew who the Lord was. His daughters knew who the Lord was. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. See how we begin in the heart? It's, it's really there. Just like in Ezekiel, what was the issues? It was pride. Here, this is pride. They, it's the opposite. It's, it's describing it. What real pride is, is not giving the glory to God. They knew God. They glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. In gratitude but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools 
and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen? For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, but filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, applicable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now look at this last phrase. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. is just as serious of a matter in the New Testament. But I said things were a little bit different. Well, not entirely different because it's been reaffirmed in the New Testament that the wages of sin is death, that these sins are resulting in death. That's what it's all about here, very clear. But does that mean that we now take up the sword and go hunt these people down and kill them. Go find all the sodomites in the land and break up their houses and destroy them? No. No. There lies the difference and the distinction between the theocratic kingdom, a theocracy where God rules through a mediator, and the church. The church has no penal power. That means the church does not um, does not punish people. In fact, really, the only power that a church has is, is a separation. Those who continue and persist in sin but yet claim to be a brother, claim to be a Christian, we have to create a separation from them. But in fact, in that very context when it tells us we need to be separating from that one who is professing to know God but yet continuing in immorality, we're also said that, you know, we're supposed to be engaging the world and the unsaved, those who are not brothers, around us. You see, what our real response is, is to be going to sodomites, whether they are practicing sodomites or are confused in it, it's interesting to bring some modern terms in to the context, which I struggle doing, um, because in some senses they're, they're, not, they're not accurate terms. They've been terms that have been used, invented and or corrupted. You've heard the, the acronym um, LGBTQ. LGBTQ, do you know what that stands for? It's an acronym describing sodomites. Um, I'm not quite sure how the Q is, though. I'll mention that in a moment. But um, LGBTQ stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and then questioning. That's a new one. You'll see a question mark put at the end, questioning. That questioning is a really important one because you'll find people who will perhaps think themselves to be gay or a homosexual, um, but yet they don't 
they're not committing the abominations, but yet they've got this issue going on. And I'm not sure if that's what they mean by the word questioning. If somebody knows more specifically what that means, I'd be interested to know. Um, but for the moment, that's how I'm kind of approaching it. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people in that category because we have some very strange ways of way people are led astray without being taught what's true. They're, they're being taught all the perversion, and they don't know what is true. Those terms I don't like. I, I don't want to go into explaining them. Um, I don't want to go into the detail of it, but I will make one point, and that is dealing with the word homosexuality. It's, it's a more modern word that's describing who someone is sexually. Well, in a sense, there's no such thing. If we look at the topic biblically, God created male and he created female. There's male and female. And the only sexuality that is recognized is between a man and a woman who are married to each other. The two made one flesh. And so this idea of creating these categories, there's a danger in legitimizing the actual perversion. So be aware of that. Be careful. Um, because there's, there's some aspects of that in the context. But how do, we, how do we engage these people? It's different than Rehoboam or any of the kings in the Old Testament needed to deal with them. Because we're the church. We're not the theocratic kingdom. Now, I hope you've been writing down references. Out of all the references you've written down, this next one is the most important. Got it? You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Several verses in here. Really, the whole chapter has relevance. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, especially verses 9 through 11. And can I say another especially? Especially verse 11. How do we engage these people? Like I said, it's not our job to go punish them. It's not our job to go hunt them down. It's not our job to persecute them. That's not, that's not our job. That's not our function. We can't use the Mosaic law to somehow invent this, this right that we might think we have. That's not there. What we do is we come to these people with the truth in love. And we come with hope. The hope is that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, died for my sin and for your sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day so that your sin, even the sins of sodomy, could be washed away. And so that you can be forgiven. So that you can have hope. So that you can have life. How do I know this is true? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This passage establishes the truth, and then it brings the hope. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived! Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Did you get all of that? That's a pretty explicit list. But there's also some things in there that um, I think are pretty categorically covered off all. Covetous. 
<laughs> Guess what? Covetousness shows up when you're about that big. In fact, maybe about that big. I just covetous is just right there from the beginning. Covetousness is right there. It's there. It's there. And these other things are. So lest you jump on the effeminate, which is a reference to a sodomy aspect, the person who is playing a role in a sodomite relationship, nor the abusers of themselves with mankind, again the same. If you have curiosity or question on those as parents and needing to help explain them, you wouldn't need to look any further than looking at um, some modern translations. Modern translations have not so much as translated them as they have um, interpreted them, defined them. Um, and sometimes there's footnotes um, that also goes to that. And that's, that's basically what describing these two are describing two different roles in a sodomite perverted relationship. And here this is. Don't be deceived. The, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you might say, then what hope is there for them? Why would we go to them? Why would we have hope for them? Well, can I ask you the same question? All of you covetous people, whether you were covetous now or up here, what hope do you have? The same hope as the Sodomite has. I mean, did you read there? Back in Romans 1, it reestablished in the New Testament that even those who are disobedient to parents are worthy of death. I mean, it's, in fact, actually, that comes after, in the progression of things, the whole dealing of sodomy. It's almost like we created, amongst that list of sins, a more sophisticated form of our perversions. So it's all serious. Now look at 11, verse 11. Because if we stopped right there at verse 10, we would be in some serious trouble. All of us would be. And by the way, I know people, I've actually read a book and heard a sermon where verses 9 through 10 were preached and pounded from the pulpit. And they never did verse 11. You got to have verse 11. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. Remember back in the Old Testament, God says, I am holy, be ye holy, I will sanctify you. It's here described in the New Testament. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, set apart, but ye are justified, declared righteous. Not in your sin, not by your righteousness, not by your good works, but in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me read verses 9 through 11 all together. Don't miss it. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise him, praise him, praise him. This is the message we need to bring to the Sodomites and to even the little coveters. It really is. It's interesting, the covet, little coveters. What was the progression back in Romans 1? They knew God, but they glorified God, not as God, and they were unthankful. Covetousness is the result of being unthankful. All of this is a flow here. This is what is so important we need to be teaching our children the truths of who God is. When he says, I am the Lord thy God, I am the Lord thy God, 
is he the God of me? And is it not just by word, but truly by conviction? Do my children see it and know it? And am I teaching my children the same? Do they see it as genuine and real? We have so much truth here. Notice another important passage here, or word, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were, were some of you. You see, Jesus didn't shed his blood so that we could continue in sin. No. He didn't rise from the dead so we could keep on living in the bondage of sin. He rose from the dead so that we could have life right now, life that is more abundant right now, life that's his life. And he live in us, through us, for the glory of God. Not in the ways of sin, but in the ways of truth. Remember how Jesus dealt with the woman taken in adultery? Remember that account? Woman was taken to Jesus, thrown down at his feet and said, what should happen to this woman who was taken in adultery? For Moses said she must be stoned. Jesus didn't really say a word to those people. He knelt down, he started writing something in the dirt. I'm not even going to begin to speculate on what he was writing because God doesn't tell us. One by one, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, everybody disappeared. All of the accusers disappeared. And then what did Jesus say to the woman? He says, where are thine accusers? There were none there. They were all gone. She said so. And Jesus responded to her and says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He that day gave her forgiveness and he gave her hope. And by the way, if she trusted in him, she didn't have to go forth sinning anymore. You do know that, right? Sometimes we're so careful because there's these people who are so pious, like, I never sin. Sometimes they act it. They, they say it or act like it. That We're careful to this doctrine of the fact that God has saved us from the power of sin. We, we sometimes shy away from teaching because of the arrogancy that some people boast of having. It. But it doesn't deny the truth that we don't have to sin. We don't have to. That's the point. We don't have to. When we let Jesus live through us, we don't have to. And so when Jesus said, go and sin no more, he gave her the power that she could go forth and sin no more if she yielded to it. And the same is true for us. And it's a context here of, were some of you. But even if the were some of you is not the same, notice here about the washing and the sanctifying and the justifying. The justifying declared righteous. I mean, we have in our minds, and I hope we should, of of sodomy as being a horrific perversion against nature, and it is because God said it is, that we can't fathom it and it just bothers us. But can you fathom the fact that God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, can look upon one who has committed such unnatural, perverted sins and say, justified. That's how powerful Jesus' blood is. That's how powerful Jesus' blood is. And so we need to be abundantly careful in how we deal with this topic. So many times the topic is dealt with in a joking, flippant way. I beg you, don't do that, ever. It is a very serious matter that should be dealt with seriously. If we deal with it in a joking or a silly manner, we disqualify ourselves in many regards, at least from a human perspective, from being able to share the real hope that we have. We need to be sharing the hope, sharing the truth. It's not compromised. It's right here fact. But it comes with the gospel. It comes with the gospel. Yes, there is condemnation, but the condemnation that is warned is accompanied with hope to deliver all who might find themselves either tempted or guilty of these sins to receive the forgiveness of Christ. I don't know what the cue means. Well, that one means the questioning. I don't know what the questioning means. I know what the cue means, what the questioning means. But the issue here is, if there's any questioning, be careful where you go to find your answers. Here's the place right here. And I encourage you that if you've 
I hope you've written down these references because these references will be able to help you if you are questioning what is the real perspective, what's God think of this? These references will be able to give you a perspective, understanding the dispensational truth that we live in different stewardships. Things were different in the theocratic kingdom than they are in the church. That's, what it, that's the main significance of dispensational distinction. Israel is not the church. The church is not Israel. They're distinct and separate. When you understand that, and then you look through these passages, you can see a whole new perspective in dealing with this issue. It's a hard issue. Now you know why I wanted to do a little rabbit trail in Bible Hour, but felt it needed more. At least these truths and scriptures you can have, and you can go, and in your questions, you have them as a reference to be able to answer your own questions, answer the questions of your children. Um, again, don't, don't brush it off if kids ask questions. You may need to encourage them to wait. Um, beautiful story that comes from Corey Ten Boom. How many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is, by the way? Okay. Some of you don't, but most of you do good. Corey Ten Boom, I won't go into detail. I'll catch some of you that I didn't see. Raise your hand later. Um, she tells the story of asking her question, a question of her father one time, that had to do with the topic of sexuality. And um, it apparently was at a time when they were at the train station. And, and her father put down the bags, and he says, Corey, pick up these bags. Pick up these bags. So she tried to pick them up. She says, but Papa, they're too heavy. They're too heavy. I can't pick them up. I can't carry them. And he said to her that the same is true with the answer to your question. The answer to your question is too heavy right now. But one day, when you're ready to carry it, I can share it with you. Now, don't use that as a cop-out in having a hard conversation. In fact, actually, there's some aspects of Leviticus um, 18 that children need to be taught from a very young age. It would protect them from a lot of crimes against children if they knew the truth of Leviticus 18 from young age. Um, but I understand you may have to say that same story. This is too heavy right now, but don't use it as an excuse, okay? Because they may ask someone else, and the answer they may get from that someone else may be the exact opposite of the answer they need to be getting from God's Word through you. So I encourage you, I will pray for you, pray for me. This is real. Like I said, this topic came up in, in a family movie I watched this week. Family air quotes, anyone listening can't see, air quotes, family, family movie. It permeates our society and our world. And how are we engaging it with truth and with hope? You've been washed this morning if you've received Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven. You've been sanctified, set apart, and you've been justified, declared righteous. And it's not in your self-righteousness is not in your guilt. It's in the righteousness of Christ, Christ Jesus, our Savior, and his Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. And this, my Lord, is a hard matter, a difficult topic, but extremely relevant and pervasive in our society. Give us grace. Give us wisdom in teaching our children and understanding it ourselves and engaging the world around us. May we not be condescending. May we not be joking or critically um, silly or, for that matter, um, take your righteous indignation and try somehow to meet it out ourselves. Let us leave that in your hands and let us be your ambassadors, your agents to go forth declaring hope declaring the hope that's only in Jesus Christ of the inheritance of eternal, everlasting life. Lord, we give thanks for that today as your people. We all are as filthy rags. We all are sinners. We all deserve death, and we all deserve an eternity in the lake of fire, hell, if it were not for the sacrifice of Jesus and he rising from the dead Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me 
And may I and my brothers and sisters here today go forth with this hope upon our lips, living out in our lives. And Lord, I pray, whether it be in those things that we might think of no big deal sins in our lives, that are just the gateway to something worse, that Lord, those here today who need help, who need the freedom from any kind of form of either bondage of sin or of struggles in the mind, that, Lord, they would humbly look for the help and look to you. And may we as brothers and sisters or friends encourage them biblically and accurately according to your ways and your will. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you now. We pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. We need you. We love you. We praise you. And may we faithfully occupy till you come. May we walk in your grace and in your spirit moment by moment, day by day, and may we prepare our hearts to seek you. And may we seek you with all of our heart, our mind, our strength. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.